0: Hi, hey, hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Trail Society, brought to you by our friends over at Strava, the number one app for runners and cyclists. I'm Corinne Malcolm.
1: I'm Keely Henninger.
0: And I'm Hilary Allen. You guys, this is, I think, our last Strava segment episode, which... It's kind of sad. I'm kind of sad that we're, we've are we made it through our interviews. We're sharing one last interview today. It's really, really special. I legitimately just finished listening to it right before we hit record today. Um, but before we do that, we're going to catch up on lots of ultra news. But I also wanted to, while we're talking about Strava segment stories, um, pick your brains a little bit as we are all uh, subscribers to Strava. What have your favorite like subscription based features, Ben, while using it, right? Like, Keely, I know that you just used one of the features recently and had a pretty good experience with it. What was that?
1: Totally. Yeah. I used the root builder recently because I was in Tucson and I had no clue what kind of roots would be good. So I followed some of the ladies that I know there and they had some pretty cool roots that had a lot of segments on them. So I downloaded those to my account and then. Um, mapped that route and then got to follow it um, all day. So we had the route perfectly mapped out and we're sure to look at our times on the segment board afterwards to see if we were sandbagging it or not. Um, and it was really <laughs> lovely. And we only got turned around a couple times um, and we were able to find our way right back on track. So it was very handy.
0: Yeah. I really, really love the route builder. Although Hilly, you kind of were making, making a joke before we started, what was a a, a feature that you were recently confronted with?
2: Oh man, these features, you know, if you can use, and we were joking about like, you know, the real reason we use Strava so we can figure out how we like measure up to other people. But, uh, I have a, a, a little, you know, trophy, uh, local legend status. I've been doing a lot of the same <laughs> routes lately, uh, due to snow and me wanting to be nice to my ankles. Um, but Yeah local legend. People just know that I'm maybe just like devoid of creativity and I just run the same things every day, but, <laughs> no. but also uh shout out to Larissa um, and uh, Brett Rivers. Cause I know that they battle it out there. Uh, Larissa's over there at Strava. She, she battles it out um, with her husband on local legend status at the local park that they run at. So, you know, it's whatever keeps you motivated, but it's the, it's, these things that are kind of unlocked in this subscription feature that I mean, I, I, I actually love it. So
0: (laughs) yeah, it's great. And just like any of us, it is $5 a month to become a Strava subscriber. And we recommend that you bop over to the website there and check it out if you have not yet done so, um, before we dive into our final interview feature, um, which Keely will get to tee up in a little bit, we want to talk about some news and y'all, I did my first race. This weekend, since February of 2020.
2: Hell yeah! <laughs> and it was way too cool. It was so cool to well, the, it was so the cool. Pun, it was, <laughs> but I mean, I love, I love the regardless of the race. It's a fast and furious race. I've done that race before, and it just like intimidates the heck out of me because like, the start list was insane. So. um I mean, just, I have to shout out to Corinne because the first race back after that is after so long race, not racing is so scary. And then in a field like that, it's just, it's also can be terrifying and to place, uh, I mean, to place top 10 at way too cool is, uh, is pretty spectacular anyways. And, uh, you pulled into seventh place or seventh and eighth. I don't know. Which yeah, funny we, word. Uh,
0: we, uh, we're going to consider it a draw. Um, I think <laughs> technically they gave me seventh and they gave Lindsay eighth, but we ran legitimately every step of the race together, which was unexpected and really, really fun. So yeah, I did my first race and, and the goal, um, talking to our coach was just to, just to get a race done to, you know, rip the bandaid off to run 50 K, um, which was definitely asking a lot of my body and asking me to trust my body again, which, you know, injuries as we've talked about really destroys can, can destroy the trust you have in your body. So it was really cool to, to let it do its thing for 50 K. Um, and then surprisingly had this great group of women that I got to run almost the entire race with. It was myself and a flagstaff gal, Heidi and, um, Lindsay Allison, who's a Bay area gal, but she lives in Telluride. Um, we ran basically the entire race together. Lindsay and I did run the entire race together, finishing hand in hand, which was pretty fun. Um, and as we picked up other women over the course of the day, we'd be like, you want to join us, come join us. Like we're having a lot of fun. Um, which made you know, it, I think that experience like blunted all the like moments where I could have been like, Oh, does that thing hurt? Oh, am I slowing down? Like just, it was not a PR on the course by any means. It was not a, not a 50 K PR either, but it was, I don't know. I consider it a win just like getting through the race. And then the race itself was so cool to like, I didn't watch it play out obviously. Cause I was running my own thing, but, um, the men's and women's fields delivered once again, I want to give uh we can shout out free trail here. You guys missed MK Sullivan. We'll do the women's results first. <laughs> I was like, I listened to the preview and I was like, MK, you're missing MK. She is going to destroy. And sure enough, MK Sullivan, who's the university of Nevada, Reno coach. She coaches track and field and cross country over there. Um, her husband is also a really fast runner. I think he finished eighth. Um, she won. She was three minutes off the course record, which is held by Megan Roach, I believe. So she ran 345 flat. And I think Megan's record is like just below 342. So insanely fast. Um, Ashley uh, Brasovan was second. Um in kind of, I think her really like her successful second 50K. She won Speedgoat this past summer, and I think which was like her first 50K finish. Um, they ran the early miles together and then it split up. And I think MK won by like nine minutes, like MK destroyed. And then Tabor Scholl, in what I believe is her first 50K, loads of potential uh, C, former CU standout, former junior standout. I think she's on the junior mountain running team way back in the day. Um, she finished third in her first 50K. So super, super cool. Women's racing. And then um, the men's racing was also super cool. I'm just gonna talk about everyone. Um, fan favorite, our favorite, Tim Tolfson with the hair, with the good hair, um, won the race. I think he ran a really smart race, really tactful race, kind of played with based on his Instagram today. It seems like he kind of toyed with men's field a little bit, kind of uh setting the pace early and then letting them kind of destroy each other and then taking home a win in 313, I think. So once again silly fast. Um, Eli Hemming was second. I think Eli is Tabor's husband. Um, he's a, he's a professional triathlete, super young. He's like 26. Um, his first 50 K as far as I'm aware, um, really impressive to be second to Tim Tolson at, um, at way too cool. And then Ryan Becker, um, who's generally more of a sub ultra guy. He's been third and fourth here before. So third again for him, um, lives Telluride. He's actually, uh, the, the boyfriend of Lindsay who I ran with all day and uh, they've been running on snow and uh walking a puppy mostly not not doing a ton of training so I think it was really cool uh for him to perform for the third there and then Darren Thomas we'll give him a shout out he was fourth just a minute behind Ryan um kind of sounds like he bonked pretty hard but that's a that's a stout men's and women's race um for top 3 4 runners there um so it's a classic right Fit way too cool and Chukana are two of the early season 50k classics, um, in the Pacific Northwest and it, we had perfect weather. It was like 48 degrees and it rained a little tiny bit and the trails were in mint condition. So, uh, could not have asked for a better welcome back to ultra running complete with frog cupcakes at the finish line, which is why we all run this race anyway. So got a frog cupcake and laid on the ground and called it a good day. <laughs>
1: That's awesome, yeah. And I think all the guys were pretty close together too when finishing.
0: Yeah, they were bunched up a little. The men's race was a little bit closer than the women's race, and I think someone asked me about that after the fact, like why, you know, you know. Actually, it was my roommate uh, Eric was like, why are you know? what, Every time I go to one of these races to watch his his girlfriend Olivia run or to to cheer me on, he's like, you know, it's like one woman just like destroying everyone else, and I was like, you know, the men get to run a tactful race because they're not lost in the women's field. And the women, I feel like more often than not, particularly in these mass starts where men and women are starting together, it's hard to play a tactful race because you just get a little bit more lost in the men's field because you're not at the very, very front of these competitive Mm -hmm. races. And so, um, yeah, the men's
1: race was tight for sure. And we know women pace it a little bit better than men. So I think there's probably less women who start off hot and uh, run their own race instead of starting out with the first place women. Um, yep. unlike some of the men racing, but
0: yeah, light it all on fire. But speaking <laughs> of letting it all on fire, um, the, have you raced trans grand Canaria
2: Hill? No. no, but it's a race that I want to, that was like, this weekend was awesome to be able to like, you know, spectate and follow along. I, I love the, like the YouTube coverage that they had, uh, at trans grand Canaria this year. Um,
0: I'm a little biased. I don't think they covered the women's race dude very well at all i I don't think they did
2: either because i was looking for like the top 10 and they were following the top three but they weren't they were following the top 10 men but they weren't following the top 10 women so i was like what the heck man guys what are you doing so yeah i was a bit disappointed from that
0: we did not get enough abby hall coverage is why we're really upset we (laughs) would like more coverage of abby hall we're a little biased there but it was really i mean great races on both sides like there was Mm -hmm. action Mm -hmm. things were getting mixed up like there, it was not, you know, it was not bell, you know, bell to bell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think in other ways, and they had insane weather, like oh my 90, gosh, 90 mile an hour wind gusts or something oh, stupid. Gosh.
2: I mean, I was exchanging some text messages with Caitlin Gerben. She won the race in 2000, um, 2020, right. Um, I forget
0: which one was, yeah, 2000,
2: 2019, 2020.
0: It was I one of her, like, was, it was one of her I think it was 2020. Not one COVID, of her yeah. best. It was one of her like first big international right wins. wins, you know? So Yeah.
2: And I know like she had, a, I think it was a course record, but I think since they changed that they, since they changed the course, they didn't quite recognize it. It was regardless. It was a fast time that she ran But I was texting with Caitlin afterwards and she didn't even realize that they had actually called, um, half, like, well, at a certain point they had called some people off the top of the Ridge because of these horrendous, like sideways rain, wind, um, it, obviously, Caitlin had to run through it and a lot of people did, but they actually diverted some people off the high points of the course because it was so, you know, like tropical that. island paradise. Watch out, Corinne,
0: for your Madeira race. I know. I'm like, well, good thing I'm coming out of a ski trip for that one. I'll have all my warm clothing <laughs> with me. But yeah, they it was after a certain time point. If you made it to an A station after X time, so probably like back, you know, mid mid back of the pack. There, I mean, it's a big race. It's a huge, like you have to realize once again, European race, way too cool as well. We, way too cool is one of the, probably the biggest 50 Ks in the U S as far as like a volume of runners goes. It's generally like 500 to 700 runners, which is a huge race by U S standards. Um, transgreen canary yeah, big race. So they did after a certain point, they diverted people onto a lower section of the course and i can't remember what they were going to do to to like rectify those times but it wasn't the competitive part of the field but they wanted to get those people finished and finished safely mm-hmm. and so they they opted to move them onto a lower section of trails to keep them out of that wind but also start, it starts at 11 p.m. which i just like kind of love like just right into the middle of the night right away mm-hmm. was what a i mean i've got a prep port from madeira but like what a crazy way to start a race right
1: hey, what time does madeira start a Midnight.
0: Yeah. I think it's oh, wow. midnight.
1: Same I, thing, yeah, yeah. I did Lavarado at 9 PM and it's a weird start, right? Cause you right. have to first start in the dark and then run through the entire night. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's very trippy. You're just so ecstatic when it starts to be light out. Yeah.
0: That'll be uh TDS this, this year as well. They're going to start at midnight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just getting my practice in for these, Dumb, yeah. dumb, stupid mountain races. And
1: do you go and, and run some of your race, your own runs at those times to get used to it? Or do you not really?
0: I don't, I prioritize sleep. I think sleeping is much more, much more important. So I think for people who are doing those 200 plus mile races, getting out and fast packing and staying out overnight, but sleeping some is, is kind of the way you, you uh, practice that versus like, I don't. I spend the winter running in the dark, early in the morning, and that kind of stuff. So it's not—I'm right. familiar with my gear, but yeah, it's—it's it's not worth losing sleep over it for specific race practice. I think.
2: Mm-hmm. Totally, I'm a, I'm on that camp too. It's like usually I feel, I and mean, heck, I always call myself a grandma. If I lose a night of sleep, I'm like not—I'm very cranky and I have a hard time recovering from that. Not even the running itself. So, um, yeah.
1: But yeah. can we talk the
0: about how results how, results. how, how <laughs> badass? Ragna Debatsis. Oh
2: my gosh, I love Ragna. So she's like 42, has a kid, is just like I've had the pleasure of racing Ragna, and I think I'm like maybe one out of like 20 of the times I've raced her that I've actually beaten her. She's, she's such a so she's such good. a beast. Yeah, she's amazing. And so it's, it's so funny to see. I mean, we mentioned Abby Hall, like strong international performance. She got second. 100%. Yeah. And so, especially I think for her of a distance, like over a hundred K, right. This is, this is awesome for Abby, but she started out like guns blazing. I was like listening to her interview afterwards and she was like, you know, I was a bit surprised to be leading through the first two aid stations. (laughs) She's like, but I just kept going. Like, you know, and then Ragna kind of passed her in the night. Um, and then kind of, I think she kind of established a bit of a gap, but Ragna is like so incredibly strong. And then, um, like the third place finisher, she Claudia, she was uh, she was second in 2020, yeah,
0: 2020. Yeah. Well, yeah, whenever the last time they had the race was, she was right, <laughs> she was second. I think in that race, too, Ragna dropped out of that pre- the previous did. edition of this race, so it was kind of redemption for Ragna. It was an amazing, like, just a great way for Abby to kick off her 2022 season. Like, I think super exciting international result for her, like, stout field, and then yeah, Claudia. In uh, third was pretty cool, and then the men's race was a Spanish sweep. They <laughs> destroyed it. It was really cool, and I'm biased. Pablo Villa is my Adidas Terrix teammate, and he <laughs> put together a great race. After I think having a disappointing UTMB experience, um, we had a lot of guys have to drop out of UTMB. UTMB just bites everyone, you know. But to I think to get a win, he it's his second win at Trans Grand Canaria. So that was really, really cool to see Pablo Villa. And then uh, Hill, your teammate, right? No, yeah. your old teammate, old your teammate former but, teammate. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but actually, I think Powell, because Powell and Pablo, they finished like hand in hand one year. If, I, if yeah, I that might
0: be the year that, that I'm he, out, they, Pablo won.
2: Exactly. He won. So so and then Powell, like just a shout-out to him too. I know like I know him very well. And I mean, I think people know him now more because he won UTMB. Um, but like he is such a strong runner and he had a year of injury, he had a knee surgery, like coming back from it. So I think that was a really strong um performance from him, and it was really cool to see him. You so well. And yeah.
0: Yeah. And then third was Pierre. I can't say his name. How do you say his name,
2: um, Pere, so. he He's Catalan. So this is actually Ragna's husband. Um, Oh, no way. Yeah. So they're like, they're, they're a power couple. Um, But yeah. So um, Pe- Pere Arel, <laughs> a- 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 I think, I don't know. It- it's Catalan, it's entirely Spanish. I'm sorry. I'm butchering it, butchering it. But uh, no, he's like,
0: He's he's a good runner. He's a good runner and he's really good in the mountains with poles. Like he's actually, he's like taught, like Ragna for the longest time did not run with poles at all. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. he has been like an influence on her and like teaching her to move to the mountains in that way. Because I think she's been historically more of like a, She's really good on these, on the faster, on faster ground. And well, so she's, she's
2: yeah, she's Dutch. So I think it's like then now she lives in Catalan. So like in Catalonia. So to. she so she's like, she's not, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. I mean, now they're like they're both, I think, on the they're both on um Meryl team and Leckie together. So
0: yeah, it's cool to see. Yeah, they've got a cool a cool thing going. I got to meet him at Western States a little bit and hang out with there. Actually, got to, we got to hand her <laughs> her, her, the, her daughter like over the fence to, to meet her, her mom Ona? at the finish line. Ona, yeah, I she's think, adorable. Yeah, she had flowers so and she was like so tired because it was you know late at night. And yeah. She's just standing there with her flowers at Western States. But we'll see them again. Actually, I don't know. Is Ragna coming back to Western States? Does anyone know? I don't I, know. I'm
1: not sure. I'm not but, sure, I think. Some of the international
0: women are, I know Ruth Croft's coming back. I don't know that Ragna is coming back. Um, But then I think notable is that Caitlin Gerben held on for an eighth in the women's race after having a really, really hard day out there. And then um, notable in the men's race, Hayden Hawks dropped um, Mm -hmm. after about mile 40. So, you know, I think that when Hayden's on, he's really on. And when he's not on, this is kind of what we see, and I'm I'm excited to see what he can pull together mm-hmm. the rest of this year. Um, yeah. But kind of a bummer to have to see him drop in this race.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the second time he's dropped, so he's hmm. has some vengeance for this for this island.
0: Yeah, he'll figure <laughs> figure this race out eventually. He just ran coastal, didn't he? Just run yeah. the coastal challenge. That's a lot it's of a racing. Beast.
1: It's a lot of running that that's yeah. back to back to back.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so akin to the Olympics, the Paralympics are going on right now. And, um, it's kind of cool to, to get to watch these athletes compete. I got to spend a lot of time with the, um, para biathlon and para ski teams in Lake Placid when I was living out there and know a bunch of these athletes. Um, what's kind of really cool is that Ukraine actually was leading the medal count early. In the race, I, I, in the event, I think as of last night, they were second in the medal count to China, but it just really cool to see um, these athletes coming together to race, um, I think during, you know, really hard times for everyone, um, particularly for um, those that live and in, live in, are from Eastern Europe. Um, so cool to see Ukraine over there representing and their athletes doing really, really well in all these events. And then um, what's really, really cool is there's this... Um, U.S.-Ukrainian para-athlete. She's represented the U.S. in both summer and winter Paralympics. Um, She has represented in rowing, um, in hand cycling, and she's a sit skier. Um, Oksana Masters, she was adopted um, when she was really young from Ukraine. And I think she initially was finding it really hard to be at the Paralympics, given everything that's going on um, in her her original home um, and feels really strong. About what's going on there, which I, which is understandable. I think everyone does. And to see her, she won, I think, the opening event at the like at the at the Olympics for the U.S. Um, in Paralympic biathlon. So that's a pretty profound statement, I think, to be making at at the Paralympics, and um, really cool to get to see her representing both of her countries, um, because that's that's a platform that not many of us have have. And so, very very cool and, and a huge shout out to Oksana and all the rest of the Paralympic athletes that are currently competing in Beijing. Um, we're watching and supporting you from the States and wish everyone the best of luck in the rest of the events. Go Paralympics. <laughs> okay, we're moving on to the rest of the news and a possible rant is how I've labeled it because, you know, a potential rant's always coming. But um, mm-hmm. Keely and I were... we're you know, texting about some things that have been going on in the news recently. And two of the things that have come out recently are involving women's sports, specifically the U.S. Women's National Soccer Team and then and uh, the women's uh, NBA as well. And so, Keely, I know that you've read up a little bit more on some of this stuff. Can you give us a little bit of a glimpse of what's going on in these sports leagues?
1: Sure. So... We've gotten really great news for the women's soccer league. So they filed a lawsuit back in 2019 asking for $56 million in back pay to compensate for their discrepancy in pay from the men's league, as well as, um, an initiative to establish equal pay going forward between the two leagues. Um, and they finally got a result, um, this basically last week, which is really exciting. And while they didn't um, win the exact amount they set out for, they came away with a $22 million lump sum payout which will be distributed to all of the players in the league based off of some like guidelines that they put forward. Um, And they also got 2 million set aside in a fund that's kind of like established for post-career goals for the women who are playing, um, which will allow women to apply for some of this money after they graduate from the league so that they kind of have like a little leg up or a jump start to their careers post-soccer since that transition can be really hard um, for a lot of people. Um, and then the best part of this is that going forward, they're going to have equal pay to the men in the friendlies and the world cup going forward. So that is probably the, one of the biggest wins, um, Rapinoe's quoted as saying, this has been a bumpy ride, but it's well worth the, the dedication they've had going through because obviously they came out on top. Um, and she obviously will not stop fighting for equality between the women's and the men's league. And so it's, it's a big monumental day for women's sports when, when this kind of jurisdiction came through, which is really exciting. Yeah, I think it's, it's representative of what
0: of of the value of that league. And I think that the public has also been fighting for it in a big way. So bravo for that lawsuit finally coming to a conclusion and, and equal pay moving forward, particularly for a World Cup play when the U.S. men's team doesn't qualify. I feel like half the time for the World Cup. So, right. yes, take it.
1: Yeah. And then there's a win for the WNBA too. And uh, this one is so exciting to me because I feel like I've had this discussion with so many girlfriends where we're talking about how to advance female sports. And I'm always like, we need to fund them, right? We need (laughs) to give them money so that the women don't have to have second jobs and like pinch pennies to go to the grocery store and, and work off of a very low salary to try to perform their best. And I always, I always like kind of give the WNBA as an example of like, well, I think the WNBA could use some funding so that they can elevate the women that are in there actually give them good amounts of salary that allow them to fuel their body well and not have to stress about going to Europe every summer and actually be able to live and, and we kind of got there so The most recent update here is that um, the WNBA kind of raised some money from investors and they raised over 75 million um, and this will go toward salaries and all that kind of stuff. And they've also started raising the ceiling of the the max salary. So it used to be like around 200,000 or less for the the max you could make in the league. Um, And now it's up to 500,000. So baby step because the start pay for the NBA is is over a million.
0: Uh, the the, the team the the total team pay salary cap has been like 1.4 for women's teams for example versus like no guy is is pay like is playing for that little on the men's Mm -hmm. side and that was like the entire team salary cap on the women's side so this is a big it seems small but I think it's a big step forward and it kind of treats sports it changed my mind on how sports can operate right as this like it's almost like I think of raising capital or like going through a round of funding, like all my friends here in the Bay area that are in tech, you know, Hmm. like, Oh, we're doing, you know, our our series B or series C. It's jargon that I don't understand, but I was like, Oh, like sports could operate in such a way too, in which they can raise this capital and then use it, use it for pay benefits, but also use it for, you know, further investment in the league. Um, And that to me is this really interesting financial structure that I guess, I mean, it has to exist, but it hadn't occurred to me that, you know, that would be one way to do it through like, through specific kind of almost like private institutes coming on as, as backers, as funders for the league.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by doing this, they're going to have, uh, like they're going to be able to reach a higher ceiling of performance, right? Cause they're going to be able to focus more time on playing, not having to be stressed about moving across the seas every year. And so mm-hmm. it'll be exciting to see how this investment actually furthers the future of the WNBA going forward. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's huge. And then, uh, Keely, have you, uh, have
0: you yet been to the sports
1: bra? <laughs> I don't know if it's opened yet. So I think it opens in April. Okay. Such a cool name, I love but this. I'm really excited for it, uh, because it's the first ever women's sports bar opening in Portland, my hometown.
0: Yeah. It's really, really cool. The owner, uh, Jenny was quoted as saying 40% of athletes are women, 96% of all athletes on TV are men. And like, that is is their mission to change that, to say, you know, if yes, like, okay, whatever, whatever that 4% is on TV, I don't care what sport it is. We're playing it. Like I want women to be able to come in here and and see women's sports and watch women's sports and have a place for that. And I thought that was just one startling that that hadn't been done yet. And two, how exciting that they like <laughs> have the backers they've developed this they like they're opening this this sports the sports bra this bar like i think that's i don't know i'm hoping that we have more kind of local and community initiatives like that to just show all women and show girls right that like there is there is a, a place for them
1: totally yeah you guys will have to come visit when it opens and we'll go oh can we please i'm yes, so, I would I'm so. there <laughs> I'm so so there, and I okay. just love
2: the pun on the name. It's so great. Uh-huh. It's <laughs> and I, tried so to, great. I tried to Google it. I really it.
1: want to know how they're de- like decorating the entire facility. <laughs> I think it's just going to be so cool. It's going to be such a fierce excl- exclamation of, of female power. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: yeah, and it sounded like locally they were they were reaching out to some like to local female uh, like builders and that kind of thing to mm. to help construct everything. And then I thought another really good quote from the article was globally. This is talking about what the owner wanted to accomplish globally, and she said, and it was global. She wants to change the perception of women's sports that women's sports can't make money. She wants to encourage the young women who might quit doing something they love because they don't see a path forward. She wants pay pay equity, and she wants to change the whole system. And I was like, yes, <laughs> like, and to think, I think we get really close minded that we can't make a difference in our day to day, and in what we're in what we're doing that we can't we can't make a difference we can't reach people and it's like no you can reach people in whatever you're doing and I think it's really cool that she's channeling that into this into this location and space that can be um that can that can reach women and kind of set I don't know chart chart a new course for many people which is very cool is that all the optimistic news we have I think now we're moving on to the (laughs) potential rant section yeah (laughs) (laughs) back to okay. the paralympics back to the paralympics back right. to the the sporting world and the global world that we all live in obviously you know it's hard to talk about these happy fun things about racing all that kind of stuff when there is you know this horrible event going on um in Europe with the invasion um and attack on the Ukrainian people by Russia and by their allies in Belarus um and it's you know i feel for the what is it like? Well over a million refugees, primarily um, women and children, who have fled to um, Eastern Europe, other countries in Eastern Europe, uh, largely like Poland and Romania, um, as well as friends of ours, um, really good friends of ours, Hilly, Hilly and I, my teammates, um, who Hilly knows from the Skyrunning world really well, um, Demon at Katarina. Right, we've got people stuck in war, trapped in war, on on both sides, and um, reading really really devastating things from everyone involved, um, that really cool before we kind of go into the sanctions rant. Um, a lot of athletes are stepping up. Um, Eric Lesser, who's this famous German biathlete who has 125,000 followers on Instagram turned over his Instagram account to a, U- a, a Ukrainian biathlete so that they could share what's going on in Ukraine through his Instagram account to get eyes on it because they don't have the reach that he has. So that's, I think was such a cool way to, um, Highlight someone else's voice and highlight their experience and what's going on. Um, so there's a lot of things like that going on right now, which I think is is really cool to show to show unity to show kind of the stick togetherness. Um, this past week, I shared a um, kind of global athlete report on what was going on um, with the Paralympics um, and pressure kind of coming from the IOC or the International Olympic Committee and the IPC, the International Paralympic Committee, about sanctions, um, athletic sanctions against um, of against Russia and Belarus. And while, you know, it's hard to, sanctions are difficult. Sanctions require the punishment of people who might not be actively involved in what's happening, right? It's going to punish, you know, quote unquote, innocent people, people who just happen to be, happen to be Russian, happen to be from Belarus, et cetera. Um, and, and while that is really hard to kind of see you know what's the emotional side of that and what's the rational side of that um i do think that historically putin has used global athletics in particular things like the olympics and paralympics to both hold power um nationally locally to to russia but also internationally right that's why dictators oftentimes win getting to host the olympics is because it's they want to show the world that they're good they want to hide The trouble that they're causing. Um, It gives them a lot of power. Um, And a lot of these athletes are actually in Europe, it's pretty common for Olympic athletes to be paid as soldiers. That's kind of what they're, but as a soldier, they work as an athlete. We do this a little bit with the National Guard in the US in certain sports, particularly winter Olympic sports that don't make a ton of money. Um, So these athletes are used as propaganda, but there's this blurry line all of a sudden where we have this difference between the sanctions that could potentially put pressure on Putin, i.e. take away national symbolism within the sports of like the biathlon world cup and the Nordic skiing world cup and the, and the Paralympics currently ongoing and, um, the Olympics world athletics, you know, removing, removing Russian and Bel and Belarusian athletes. So there's that side of things where these athletes do represent national, there's national symbolism behind these athletes. And then there's civilian sports is what I'm calling them <laughs> because I don't know how, I don't know what else to call them. You know, and in a lot of ways, although ultramarathon is a professional sport, it's in a lot of ways, it's mostly a civilian sport in which we're all taking place in it. And so to show solidarity, organizations like UTMB um, are banning Russian and and Belarusian athletes. And I don't, in my mind, that just seems really performative. These athletes that are currently living in Russia or Belarus can't actually travel from those countries. Um, I don't think... Banning banning athletes in that nature, these civilian athletes puts any pressure back on Putin in any way whatsoever. Um, and so that is really really hard for me to wrap my brain around. like I, I can see and I can support the banning of these these athletes being able to be national national emblems at things like, you know, the the world championships for track and field. Um, indoor world championships are coming up in Serbia or uh, pulling the support from races that are supposed to be happening in Russia, right? The International Ski Federation pulled all the World Cup finals out of Russia that were supposed to happen in about a month um, and have reallocated those to Western Europe. So I do see how some of that can provide pressure, but it's really hard for me to see the rationality of quote unquote, standing with Ukraine by trying by in a way performatively banning civilian athletes that does not reflect on anyone in power in Russia. and I don't know there's no right answer not none none of us are political as- experts here or geopolitical experts, but I'm wondering if there's been you know as these initiatives, let's say have been rolled out, have you have either one of you had strong feelings one way or the other? like I think it is promoting it is it's bringing up a lot of strong feelings out of out of everyone I feel like that I've talked to.
2: Yeah, I mean, and yeah, I'm really glad that, you know, Corinne, you wanted to talk about this. It's it's obviously really hard. And I think there are, I have a lot of mixed feelings. I don't think anything is is black and white, but, and, and I do completely understand your point about, I like how you put it civilian versus like kind of bigger, ma- like mainstream, because I do believe that Putin uses that as a way to show power and that, you know, like Russia is number one. But I also do think that there's a harsh reality that we all have to kind of go with that this is a bystander of war. And that like, even though, you know, my friends Dima and Ekaterina, like they might not support the war. And even if they, they risk their lives literally to to oppose said they war. Mean, they
0: already have, right? By posting right. on Instagram, they have exactly. risked their lives speaking so, out.
2: Exactly. Even, even if w- that is happening um, and they're against it, there is kind of this harsh reality that we can't avoid that certain sanctions are going to affect the civilians. And I I do think it takes courage on the fact of UTMB and other people to kind of take that stance to be like, okay, like, you know, and also, you know, they want trail running to be a a mainstream. It is more of a mainstream sport in Europe than it is here. For sure. But I think
0: the difference between mainstream and national symbolism is the fact that like, In, in ultra running, Russian athletes might represent Nike or Adidas or Solomon or whatever, but they don't necessarily, it's not like, you know, we're lifting their flag and singing the national anthem at the podium podium ceremony. Like you're going to see at the FIS World Cups and the Mm IBU World Cups and that kind of thing. And I think to me, that's, that's the difference in a way as far as like these athletes being symbols or not.
2: Completely. I mean, I, I see that point. But again, to, to my point is there is kind of a, this harsh reality that, you, that innocent bystanders will be affected and banning people from coming to certain races in Europe and in the trail running world, particularly, right? I mean, that is happening, but also all these other sanctions that are being put on, you know, banks, commerce, trade, like that. Travel. There's affect-
0: there's no, there's no exactly. planes leaving Russia right now, so that <laughs> and, to me is why it's performative in a way.
2: And that's all going to affect all of all you know all of this as well. So I think. Um, it's, it's horrible what's happening in Ukraine. And um, I think, you know, putting sanctions on Russia to try to force them into, you know, stopping this war um, that's necessary, right? That's the, that's, you know, kind of the, the, the action that the United States and and Europe is trying to kind of go as opposed to like putting troops on the ground. But, you know, I think there's a harsh reality that I can't get around. And it's, it's heartbreaking that innocent bystanders are going to be affected.
0: Yeah, but that's war, right? There's right. there's the people mm-hmm. in Ukraine are are are. It's not like they're not being devastated either, right? It's like right. they their their lives are greatly mm-hmm. impacted and up like in, in upheaval. And so, I mean, yeah. a 19 year old Ukrainian biathlete died protecting like in in protecting. I don't know if he was. I don't think he was in Kiev. I think he was in another territory. But it was reported by the IBU that he passed mm-hmm. away this past week. And like it's kind of wild to see these athletes who just legitimately were at like, who didn't, like he didn't go to world juniors because mm-hmm. he was was there defending instead of being in in Utah. And, you know, Ukrainian biathletes who were legit just at the Olympics are now, you know, at home doing the same thing. So it's, oh, yeah. it's really, it's really difficult. And I don't think there's a, a right answer besides the fact that no one wants the war, but it's, uh <laughs> doesn't make it easier. And we, I think the big thing is that You know, sanctions are difficult. I don't think we, I don't know. I I think it's hard to understand if we support or don't support something, but I do think that it's, it's going to be hard for everyone. And it's interesting to see different organizations and different levels of organizations try to take action either authentically or inauthentically. Um, But, you know, the biggest thing is that we're thinking about everyone who has been displaced and affected by war, both people who have actively been fleeing from Ukraine or have stayed there to fight and also, Um, friends and family that live in the States or live elsewhere in the world who are watching, you know, their country, their home, be devastated, you know, be devastated and not be able to do anything about it. So we think Mm -hmm. we're thinking about all of you. And I think that is where we will end our rant for today. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe we're just going to make the rant a regular thing anyway. um, But with that all being said, we are going to share with you now our last Strava segment story interview. We want to give a big shout out to our um, our good friends at Free Trail for helping us make this podcast happen and our really good friends over at Strava for being our support through this short series. Um, I did not actually get to be on this interview. I just listened to it. But Keely, um, you got to set up this interview with Vicky and um, is it Eloise? I'm saying that right? Um, and I'm wondering if you could give us a little introduction into their story before we dive into their interview.
1: We got to talk to Victoria de Sa and Eloise Morhain. So if I if I butchered that Eloise, I'm really sorry. Um, anyways, but they are both two female cyclists who live in Sao, Sao Paulo, Brazil, and we talk to them about a lot of things. But we really hone in on their dedication to the sport, and we talk through the Fuga Clube de Ciclismo that Vicky created in Brazil to kind of like embody the like the true nature of cycling and make it more fun and also encourage more females to be in sport. And even more importantly than that, they both are super passionate about expanding sport for females in Brazil. So we really go down that rabbit hole as well. And I think you guys will be like pretty shocked at a lot of the comparisons between their attitude towards females in sport and ours and how, um, it's different across countries because they are just these balls of energy who are just so excited for other bad, like badass, strong females to enter the sport and it's a breath of fresh air. So we're going to take you into that interview now and we'll start off with giving you a little bit of introduction from each of them um, and their kind of background in sport and their background in in cycling.
3: Hi, I am Victoria, but everyone calls me Vicky because Victoria is too formal for me. Uh, I'm actually a lawyer but nowadays, I'm mostly an entrepreneur. So I have a pretty different business. I own a burger shop, I own a cycling club, and I also own a securities company, which is a financial market. So, um, well, I actually got into cycling because of my dad. When I was like five years old, he would take us to the park and we would go cycling. So it was something that was natural to me. And as I became a teenager, I continued cycling actually, so I never stopped. But I used to cycle during weekends and only like mountain biking. Uh, And then when when I started studying like close to home, I just took the bike and then I started commuting. So I've been commuting by bike since two thousand and seven. Um, I actually bought a car only this year, and I just cannot stand using it during weekdays. I just hate it. So <laughs> bike is really a big part of my life, um, and I found it Fuga because I I just didn't fit in any like sort of. You know, you have, like, coaches here. You don't have, like, really cycling clubs when people just, you know, get together and cycle. So I'm not really into training. And I just, like, thought the environment was, like, sort of stressful because it was all about um, how much your bike costs and how is your – Watts? And I was like, I don't even have what? You know, I don't know. I just didn't. So I was like, and i I wanted to ride with like different people. People there was like, you know, just enjoyed riding instead of how much your bike costs. So I just founded Fuga with two two friends and my boyfriend at a time that now is my husband, so and got
4: married yeah yeah so hi i'm eloise but also like to be called elo okay yeah, it's less formal and i'm a french born in france but raised in brazil since i was three and so i consider myself more brazilian than french actually i'm moving back to europe this year i'm going to italy so start a new life and i've Finally quit my job for the past uh, 12 years that was in the movie business. And now I'm focusing on doing what I like, which is uh, marrying um, a baker. (laughs) So we're going to do bread and uh, focusing on maybe some bike stuff, some projects that are showing up. And there's more to come for now. It's just (laughs) plans. So I actually... I uh, started cycling, road cycling recently. It was uh, three four years ago, 2018. To be more precise, But I've always uh, rolled bikes. I've lived in different cities. I studied in Paris. And that's where I, I started uh, riding roller skating. And then I found out that biking had brakes. Bikes had brakes. It was easier. I fell less. <laughs> so I started using the bike to commute and then liked it a lot. Then I lived in the States. I lived in London. And I always had a bike around to commute. And when I came back to Brazil, I was 25 and had a car because it's a city where I, ever, I couldn't imagine riding a bike. But after, I don't know, three, four years in the traffic, in my car and smoking cigarettes and being uh, drinking and driving all wrong, I've decided that that wasn't the life I wanted to live. And I, I had a bike in the garage and I decided, yeah, let's try it. Just whatever. I'll see what happens. And it was really scary and hard at the beginning, but I just I don't know, started doing longer and longer distances. It was way much better than waiting for the bus or taking the car. And suddenly I just found found out that the city was had more cyclists around. And when we stopped at the light, I would see some I wasn't alone. I I would see like three, four people around and it gave me hope. So you feel kind of protected. You're not alone in the middle of cars and buses. And then I just went on. Then I lived, I did some movies in other cities. I had to, well, I left Sao Paulo. And when I came back to work uh, only in Sao Paulo, I started dating a guy who was going, we were both commuting to work and he was really fast on his really cute bike. And I said, oh my God, why why can I go that fast? I don't understand. So I started talking, I got to work and he was there like, oh, so you were the one who passed me on this time. And yeah, so I checked the bike and it was his first day. We started talking. And actually, a few months later, we started dating. And he was a really good cyclist, I discovered. So we went cycling around. We were in my city, me with my city bike. And he was a good bike. And he looked at me and said, you have something. Let's try my bike. Then I tried his bike. And it was OK. He looked at me and said, yeah, you have to, you have to, you have to take this seriously because you're good. And he was actually working at Fuga. And so he, he took me to the group. And I said, no, let's not mix up this stuff. This is your life. You know, that just keeps like live your life, I'll live mine, it's fine. And then actually it didn't work like that. (laughs) I started riding with Vicky and everyone and it was amazing. And then the relationship finished. We broke up. But I was totally embraced by Fuga who said, no, you you cannot leave, you have to stay. So (laughs) we organized ourselves and then I just became totally addicted to cycling. And I, I dropped everything else. I was doing, I, I don't know, I did boxing or dancing. And it was like, no, yeah, cycling took the most part of my life. Like I said, I had, a, I had a, a cycling boyfriend who was really, really good and really strong. So it was nice to ride with him. But at, at one point, you see the difference of strength. And it's, it's fun, but not anymore. <laughs> at one point, depending on the day, you see that they want to ride fast and you cannot follow. And then one day, we had this uh, event of 100K for uh, women only. And, uh, and he decided, he said, oh, you should try it. And I, was, I wasn't sure at all I could do it. And I was really, really nervous. So we started doing 40Ks and then 50. And, uh, and then, well, I decided to do the, the 100K. And I remember the day before he told me, yeah, so you, what you do, you just find a girl who has the same rhythm and you stay on, on her back and just go and you'll you do it. Fine, and I ate a lot. I was so afraid like I'm eating every 20 minutes, something. You're so afraid of, you know, having like breakdown. And it was really cool. Actually, at one point, we arrived at this place where the Vicky really liked, it's Joseitas. Uh, and I suddenly look around, and I'm, there's no one around, only me and Vicky in front of me. I was like, what the hell? How, because he told me, you can go behind everyone, but don't go behind Vicky, because she's too fast. You know, she's too strong for you. And suddenly, as Vicky came I'm like, no, no, that's not right. Something's wrong here. Why am I here? And so I decided to keep, you know, the, the same pace from, like, far away but I saw her all the time like oh my god I could not believe I'm seeing Vicky it was really really exciting and I got at the top there was no competition we was just like okay so another girl arrived before Vicky and then she arrived, and I arrived I was third I was like oh, I can't believe I'm third and suddenly I felt like okay this is really cool <laughs> it's really special it was the first time I was riding so much and when we came back we had like uh, we paid you know a little amount of money so at the end we could pay beers for everyone and we did like a little no game, uh, like a hand game or rock, paper, scissors. And we decided someone would, was going to win one month of, um, of, me- of membership of Fuga just on the play, on the game. And I won one month. So I got, I got this month and I did it. And, but I was still in, at the gym. I was still, you know, going to the gym that I had to pay for a whole year. And if I stopped the gym, I would like have to pay a fine or something. And Vicky said, you should continue. I was like, no, no, you know, I'm paying you already for the gym. It's too much. And that said, okay, don't tell anyone, but I'm paying you for three months. So you can, you know, you have your gym paid and it's fine. It's not going to cost you anything. Just stay here. I was like, okay, fine. I won't tell anyone. (laughs) And then that's how I started. And that's why I say she, she was a mentor because she believed in me that I could stay there with them. And what was really amazing, it was actually the fact that I was, on this first day when I, I find, I found out that I was strong, that everyone, you know, embraced me, all the girls, instead of being like, oh my God, this new strong. Who are you? How can you be like so fast? And who do you think you are? It was on, it was the opposite. They were like, oh my God, it's just like totally continue with that. Like, we needed someone like this, you know, to make us like push us harder and, and something like, something different was happening. And I was totally being welcomed. And that was really, you know, like we say, the, sorority I, I felt the sorority I felt that there's no competition there's just like taking girls in and and helping them and and also from the boys you know the boys were like really happy to have like a stronger girl that pushed other girls to come too and just it, it's still happening like this until today like four years after and now we see new girls getting in and being really strong and it's so exciting to say okay let's go let's let's do it let's no. You know if you want to ride stronger, you can, and you have girls to be with you for that. And Vicky was with me the first time I saw, yeah, she was really important to be on my side, making me laugh when I was, like, all full of blood. and to like, telling me stories, like, uh, I don't a really good. Like, hey, just watch me. You're fine. You're fine. Let's wait for the ambulance. <laughs> and it worked. So
0: uh sounds like it's a pretty common experience that many of us have maybe followed a, uh, a boyfriend or a significant other uh, into sport. I know you both got into, got into running, got into the place that you are now, uh, like race racing because of either encouragement or, or chasing or being chased by, by a boy. Um, how much did that resonate with both of you?
2: Never. I would never admit to that ever. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Actually. Yeah. Like my first boyfriend, actually, I met him on a trail. (laughs) Ha ha. And, uh, that fell apart, but I got my nickname from it. So at least there was one success. But um, no, I mean, aside from that, I was definitely encouraged by that. And then um by him and like supported, right? Like we would go on runs together. But then specifically for cycling, I mean, I started it through an injury. Um, but I began to go outside more and to cycle more with a group of guys. Um, but I think we can get we'll get into this later in their interview. But it changed when I had female mentors. Uh, who came into my life, but that didn't come until later. And I felt like I was kind of hitting this wall with cycling in particular, um, because I'd go on this, like these rides and I don't even know what the hell drafting is, but then these guys were doing it. And then I would just get dropped. And I was like, this is not fun. I'm riding by myself now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. My first trail race was, um, a complete mistake or accident, I guess, because I was dating a guy who decided to do a trail marathon and I I'd been running by then I'd been, I'd done a couple of road marathons and was dabbling in it with a bunch of friends, but no, no trail running because trail running wasn't something that a lot of girls I knew did. Right. And so he was doing this trail marathon. He promised me there was a trail half marathon. I felt like that was something I could bite off, um, and do. And so we get there and of course there's no half marathon option. So like. In about five minutes, I had to decide, like, well, am I going to run or am I just not going to run? And so I decided to do the full marathon. And so I carried a Dunkin' Donuts coffee cup in my hand the whole race because I didn't have anything to carry water in um, and ended up finishing, like, beating all the boys and realized, like, oh, this is pretty fun. But I would have never had the confidence to go to one of those races by myself because... I was the only girl there. I think I may be one of like two or three, but it was not this common thing where I was from, where there were a bunch of women trail runners. So, um, I mean, I'm grateful that I was introduced to it by my boyfriend at the time, but yeah, very similar to their experience where I would not have been introduced to it as quickly as I was when without that boyfriend. So very grateful for that experience. Um, but I wish it was different. I wish I was finding these things because I was meeting other women who introduced me to it.
0: Which is cool, though, because I think we're all experiencing that in our lives getting to introduce other women to the sport, getting to collect literally in Way Too Cool. We were like collecting women along the course. It was <laughs> really, really fun and supporting one another. And I thought that was, I like it jumped out at me immediately. And you had obviously heard the story twice from like <laughs> meeting with Vicki and Eloise, but talking about how Vicki paid for Eloise initially to be part of the club, right? Like, this is a, you know, she didn't have to do that. This is this woman who is, you know, quote unquote, like maybe like threatening her prowess. like, who is this other fasty? And instead of like shunning her or like being like, no, 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 you can't, you know, don't threaten my, my position. She was like, Hey, I'll pay for you to be part of this thing. Like how that, that blew me away. Like, so, so cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's
2: like, it's like, like, what is it? What is it that our coach says? Like Corinne, he says steel, sharpen steel. Yeah. Like I mean, and that's completely it. I think when I first got into trail running and maybe I'm not sure, Keely, if you felt this like in the community of Boulder, sometimes I felt like it was hyper competitive, not by every woman, but certainly by some women, it was like, oh, you can't. Like, I don't want to train with you because you're threatening this, but it's, but it's really cool to see the movement now, particularly in trail running that it's like, okay, let's bring, I want other strong women to train with. Cause like, I'll make them better, but they make me better. And I think that that's incredible, um, in cycling in particular, um, because there's not that many women. And so, you know, to not feel threatened, but, you know, to welcome other strong women into it.
1: Yeah. I think that that Eloise's experience with Vicky paying for her to to start is just extremely exciting to hear, but I, I think it's relatively rare, especially from my experience in these more niche sports. It's like, you're the competition, right? Because there's not a ton of sponsorship slots. There's not a ton of races that you can get notoriety from. So when you meet someone who's threatening your ability to win these races or do well at these races at first, your instinct is to like, not like them to not encourage them to get better. Right. And I think that's what we're trying to foster here is this environment where instead of trying to be little other women and to not encourage them to be their best self, like we need to bring more women into the sport. We need to encourage the girls who are threatening our dominance or our race splits or whatever to, to enter the race. Because if we bring in more women, we're just going to elevate female sport as a whole, and, and we'll all rise together. So which it's like which
0: is what's happening, right? Yeah, like, look so cool. at look at the you know every single race we enter is the most competitive race in hills. The most competitive fifty mile. This is the most competitive, competitive hundred mile. This is the most blah blah blah. Yeah. Like it's happening. In part, because I think instead of wasting all of our energy, cutting each other down or pushing each other out, like there are these communities and these groups that are fostering that, you know, trail sisters is fostering that the group that I trained with in Bellingham is fought was, you know, is, and was fostering that, you know, having getting to train with my roommate, like every day here is fostering that. And I think that that is growing. I mean, I showed up in Portland and I got to go for a run with Keely and Rachel Drake, like hello. like best day ever. I think it's cool that we can, you know, you can foster those relationships and then show up on a start line and still like push each other to be Mm -hmm. your very best possible. And that's why women's racing is getting, I think more and more exciting.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I just kind of want to throw in a quote here that kind of will lead into the next part of the interview. Um, but, Um, Vicky said, every time I see a woman pushing her limits, I'm just so inspired because I know just how much effort it takes. So maybe it's just the empathy of having someone that goes through what women go through to get into sport, to realize that it's not easy um, and know there's a lot of barriers. And so they don't understand the point of not being welcoming. And I feel like that really speaks to how they've embodied this in their future endeavors with the sport and with their club and, and other women entering it. And so let's cut to the interview to really just see how day in the life is in this club in Brazil and how they've really interacted with the other females and encouraged others to start the sport.
4: We have a really good friend that passed away last uh, year and she was a really amazing cyclist and journalist and she's the one, she's a woman that's exactly what you were saying, um, Hilary, about someone who pushes you, who sh- looks at you and teaches you and wants to, to you know, do stuff and and not be afraid, and she's gonna be on your side. And a lot of time, many times I say, oh, okay, I have my, guy, I ride with the guys and they, they they teach me stuff. But actually she taught me so much and she was, she she had cancer for five years and she knew she was like, she, she had no, 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 um, she wasn't, you know, survived, but she didn't tell anyone. And actually we went to Colombia together. We climbed the Alta de Letas, which is like the biggest, one of the biggest time in the world. And she was like, you know, doing her dreams. And she, we met through Instagram. We had friends in common, but she just saw my Instagram. It's like, oh, no, what you do is cool. You like carnival? You like Viking? Me too. Let's just have a beer. And then we just, you know, fell in love. And we, we went to Alto de Letras and we, we rode like for this 80 kilometers. And, and she taught me so many things like how to go down because I'm not a really good um, downhealer. I kind of afraid for it. <laughs> and then she, you know, she taught me how to do it and always next to me. And she's the one that always said, like, respect your body. You know, if you don't want to, if you don't feel it, don't go. You are totally allowed not to, to be in the mood. You don't have to be always strong. And she knows that I'm always pushing myself. And she's always saying, like, do it a little bit less. It's fine. You need to rest also. Your body. I know you're strong. I know you can do it. But just, you know, respect your body and what you're thinking. And it's not a problem if you don't go out that day or not. And so that's the kind of woman that it's just, we want to be like her. You know, we want to follow for example and and bring people in and say okay just you have girls around and we're gonna help you understand whatever you're going through and we can help you uh, be stronger go calmer whatever just yeah you have you have someone to you know hold your back and and help you not just say like follow me and do whatever i do and if you can stay behind my wheel you're cool no that's not exactly the idea yeah uh,
3: erica who was the, the woman I was talking about? Was the first woman that I actually rode in road cycling with. And we rode together. Uh, and she was, she was in the front. And then uh, I was in the back, like thinking I was like really awesome because I was right uh, next to her. And then she said, Now you push. And I lasted for like two minutes. And then she she said, do you see how hard it is? And I was like, yeah, now I see. And, you know, it was really cool to have Erica with me when I was beginning because she was like, she was super powerful, you know? So I was really inspired by her as well, like when I began to cycle. She was the strongest one so I wanted to be just like her you know oh she was the stronger one one to the end you know she was like super yeah. spying
4: and she wouldn't take like anything from guys you know she was always you know on the group she was like always fighting and like she wouldn't accept it for granted like no I'm gonna show my point and you just go off. Yeah. <laughs> she's like leave me alone I know what I'm doing and she did Really here
3: in brazil we have sort of uh 80 80 men and 20 percent women in cycling especially uh in road cycling and that was always an issue to me because we were always outnumbered like even though we are a cycling club the girls that ride in the the club are like we are like top 10 faster top 10 percent seriously it's like i don't know why but every girl that goes into fuga is like super super freaking strong it's amazing to see it's like when you get we get once a year we do like um a little competition that we we have three kind of tests. So we do an individual time trial, and then we do uh mm. how do you say it? like you have to climb a mountain as fast as you can oh. by yourself. And you, we also have a team time trial with three different persons. And it's like when you see the girls, it's like. That's where the competition is because everyone is so strong that it's like it's really exciting to see. And at the same time, we are always like praising the effort. You know, like it. It you you can have both sides, so you can compete. And I when I was riding with low once, we were like we were going super strong in a climb, and then I was like I gave it all. And it was like the first half of the climb. And I was like, (laughs) and then Ella just laughed. I'm making an effort. And she's like riding so fast. So I just get amused instead of getting like, I don't know, angry or something like that. And I just think it's so awesome. I think it's awesome for us to push the limits. And I'm like, every time we see Uh, a woman pushing their limits is just so inspiring, you know? And I think it's because I know how much effort it takes. So maybe it's just the empathy of having someone that went through what we women get through to get into the sport It's not easy. There are a lot of barriers. So I just don't see the point of, you know, not welcoming.
4: I think that's one thing that inspires other girls, you know, from the club that seeing us riding, you know, together and and they riding with with us and then we can compete, you know, strength. We can compare strength and we can, you know, just, we do both. We just go sometimes out and, you know, like one, uh, it's like, um, Yeah, doing a small competition on a a hill or, you know, I don't know, we just get excited about it, but sometimes we just go and have a really, like, super cool ride, you know, with the girls, really slowly and just talking and just being out. So basically, that's our date, you know, our girls' night out. It's just, you know, it's our morning night to stay out with girls and riding around. It's pretty cool. If you put us in a bar, you know, having drinks, like, yeah, no, let's do this tomorrow morning on the bike, it's (laughs) better.
0: So Hillary, like just before, you know, we were just talking about how this you had a you definitely had like a a shift in your mindset when, particularly in cycling, when you found, you know, female mentorship and just listening to them talk about Erica. I'm kind of curious to hear from what you've experienced, like how that aligns with with this, with their experience.
2: Yeah. So I, I think it's incredible. I mean, I have stories both on the running side of things, obviously, but in particular cycling. Um I remember this woman, I was on a group ride and I was like, you know, climbing and, and doing like doing really well. Cause that's like what I excel at. But that was like, just talking anecdotally, like I'm someone who doesn't have a filter. And so I, this woman was literally a complete stranger. I just met her that morning. And I was like, Hey, I've got a question. Like, is, are, are you supposed to go numb down there like when you're riding a bike <laughs> <laughs> and she's like oh girl no like you got to get a new saddle and I'm like oh and then after that cycling changed for me but um I mean that was one thing about being a mentorship because what am I gonna do like ask a guy about that like no I mean they're all like too busy trying to like rip each other's legs off I'm just trying to hang on but then um so that was one <laughs> but then after that I remember like learning how to ride technical trail. Like I'm not, I'm not a mountain biker. I'm, I'm a trail runner, but like going a little bit faster and like, even on a gravel bike with bigger tires, like going on loose terrain, it scared me because I didn't want to fall. And, you know, guys would just kind of be just like, just knew what to do they just they just went and I was like and so I couldn't really follow their line because I was just too far behind but what really changed for me is I went with this to this trail that I was kind of scared um I had done it before but I had to walk sections and I did it with it all these these women and there was just one woman who stayed right next to me she took like an awful line and she was just encouraging me the whole way she's like okay you see this rock she's like keep looking ahead and then all you have to do is you need to just keep pedaling and then the more I did it. Like I kind of like freaked out. She's like, no, no, no. Like keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And then like, I just, she was willing to teach me and to take the time. And then after that, like I just grew in confidence and then I would hear her words in my head. And like, it didn't matter if they went ahead. I knew that I could do it because there was someone there teaching me. And I think that's different. I've never, I've never really had, um, a guy kind of take take that time um and I think it's just I think it's just different how women teach other women in particular
0: and yeah i'm I'm laughing because I've had this exact same experience I've got which really one good, with the saddle uh, well no i've got a I've got a good saddle so we're fine but i uh i I had this friend Lizzie and I remember Lizzie inviting me to go ride and Lizzie is this badass she was like a whitewater like kayaker, she like raced downhill bikes. Like this woman is insane. Um, and she she invited me to go for a ride with her. And I was like, Lizzie, like you, I can't ride with you. You're like way too fast. And she's like, Corinne, I'm not inviting you to ride with me to show you how much better I am than you. Like, I want to go ride with you. And I was like, Oh, okay. And I've used that now. Whenever I invite someone to go run, and they're like, Corinne, I can't run with you. You're you're too fast. I'm like, No, 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 no. Like I, I want to run with you. That's the, that's the whole point of this. And she did the same thing teaching me how to ride technical terrain where Steven was like, I don't know, just ride it. <laughs> just ride the drop. And I'm like, every time I ride the drop, Steven, I Scorpion. It's like not that great. And uh, Lizzie was like, okay, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to grab this break. You're going to do this with this break. You're going to get your butt back as far as... But like she like she she walked me through it. And she was like, no one looks good doing it. It doesn't have to be pretty but this will work. And I was like, Oh, okay. Like I stopped Scorpion going off these drops. So I do think that that has been like a unique experience as well with like, once again, like learning to do something with a partner versus learning to do something with like a female mentor. Cause I think oftentimes our, our male riding partners are also our male significant others. Um, Mm -hmm. and so getting to, getting to learn from like a female, I think is just that it, that like changed the experience for me.
1: Yeah. And if JT is listening to this episode, he'll be laughing because he was, he had to deal with me for like a year or two and he's just reckless and so confident going fast. And I'm learning mountain biking for the first time. I just wasn't the same rider, you know, and it took a lot of times with females to be able to finally learn enough about body positioning and how to ride to actually do it. And, and I've actually had this experience a lot lately where I, I get a lot of messages that say things around the line of like, I've seen you do it. And it made me realize I could do it. Or I saw how strong and fierce you were during the race. And I realized I could be that strong and fierce too. And at first that made me like a little self-conscious and also like, well, what you think it's easy, but as over time as you get more confident in yourself and more excited for other women to enter the sport, you realize that by showing others that they can do it, that someone like them can do it. You're just getting more female into the sport. Right. And so I think it'll be really cool to hear about the barriers that Vicky and Eloise had to getting into the sport and how they see those barriers changing um, for females and how they see cycling
3: growing in the future. Well, It begins of being a woman, so we get like we get out on the street and we get harassed, you know, because you're wearing a like lycra, and if you have kids, people think you're like being. You know, neglecting your kids because it's a it's a woman's job to be a full time mother. So yeah, that's hard, and it's also hard like um, to spend money with sports. You know, like how come are you spending like that amount of money in a bike? So when I when I see girls, I see like, and and you always think you're not capable of doing something. I think we are really, like, we grow up to be insecure about ourselves. So we always think we cannot do it until we surprise ourselves that we actually can. And when I see, like, guys going into Fuga, they, like, they have no idea how to ride. And they are riding anyway. And when I see a girl entering the club... She's like totally insecure. She did like private lessons so we can she can get into the club, you know. So it's like it's a different, it's like a complete different standard that we girls have.
4: So sometimes I'm on the street and I'm riding and I pass a guy because I have a better bike, because I like I ride every single day. So I yes, I'm a good cyclist. And this guy just comes by and he cannot accept that I'm faster and he goes past a So you have to breathe deeply. (laughs) I'm not gonna, you know, but then I go and go faster and, well, I give him the back and drop him and then he just has to accept. And this is really rewarding because this is one of the things we all have, we have to do every day to be looked at like, like we're not capable of being stronger than, than a man.
0: So what really stood out to me was, was that quote was we grow up to be insecure about ourselves. So we always think we can't do something until we surprise ourselves that we actually can. Um, And then she said, goes on to say, when I see guys go into the cycling club, they have no clue how to ride, but they ride anyways. When I see a girl enter, she's so self-conscious but has already taken private classes to learn how to ride. There's just a big difference. And we've talked about this, like in the workplace, showing up to trail races, like hearing the same thing, you know, about the cycling club, halfway around the world i was like oh this is a universal experience this this societal uh like psychosomatic like thing that we deal with that like i don't know that we we almost like we block ourselves from being able to do something we're in our own heads about it but i think society has a big a big role in in why we feel that way about ourselves
2: i mean i i also think it's like It's just one of the differences between men and women. I mean, I think like society-wise, but I also think like boil it down to the science, like testosterone versus estrogen. I mean, it's like, there's like- Poor
0: (laughs) decision-making skills, testosterone.
2: (laughs) But like, you know, the difference in hormone levels, that's like a huge driver for behavior. And so I think- Yeah. I mean, I've, I've noticed it. It's just like, we talked about this at the very beginning of the episode, like why the heck are women so much better at pacing ultras? Sorry guys. But like, maybe we are a little bit, but it's, it's because we're not so concerned. We're concerned about like being conservative and like having a good race pacing as opposed to like, who's going
0: to be first at the 10 mile mark, like, you know, or being able to do the thing, be able to complete the thing. And we've talked about how women oftentimes won't even sign up for races. Mm -hmm. if They don't, if they're not confident, hundred percent that they're going to be able to finish it as opposed to, as opposed to men. And so that, that obviously bleeds through here as well.
1: Yeah. And I remember when I did Labarado back in June, 2018, um, I was on the athlete panel and I was shocked at the differences between the men's and women's panel because The women's panel was super, super stout. It's filled with women who have finished this length of race before podium did a lot of races, right? Like won a lot of big races, like very, very, very gifted female runners. And not one of them said they thought they would win the race everyone's response about the race coming up was like, I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited. All these other women are here excited to test myself, but like, I don't know, you know, like nobody was willing to say they were fit enough to win. And the men's side, which was arguably less competitive was every single male was saying, I'm really excited to run out there real fast and win. And, and it's just like, kind of shows that it doesn't go away with experience either. We're still the, we're still going out there, not as confident in our abilities and not as willing to say that, Hey, yeah, you know what? I've done these races before I've done super well. I feel really fit right now. And I think I could win. And I think it's kind of crazy that, the men are doing something a little bit different. And so I think as the sport's growing and women are getting a little more confident, we'll start seeing a change in the narrative around their, their initial interviews and their thoughts around the races, but it's still pertinent these days, even at the higher levels. And I I think we also
0: need to support that. I think we need to support women having those thoughts and feelings, because I think society shuts them down. They're uncomfortable that Mm. Sabrina Stanley wants to kick your butt. They're uncomfortable that Camille Heron wants to set the world record, right? Like they are, like the world is uncomfortable with that. Women can be uncomfortable though that men definitely are comfortable with that. Like they don't like it. They say, oh, that's not the ethos of our sport. But when every single male before Western state says, I'm going to win, we don't say, oh, they're so cocky. Like, you know, this isn't, this is not the ethos of the sport. But if a single lady gets on that pre race interview and says, I'm going after the course record, we say, oh, like, like, why do you think you can say that? And so I think, <laughs> I think, yes, we need, we need men to support that, but we need to support that. All three of us, the women in the sport in general, like, we need to support the women who do talk like that right now. Mm-hmm. because I think it's really easy for all of us to shut them down or to be uncomfortable with it because we're uncomfortable personally with it because we do have women in the sport like that right now, but you're right. It's not the norm. And I think it's not the norm because none of us want to come off as bossy or cocky or, you know, full of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Whereas when a man, a man says that that's not cocky it's mm-hmm. they're not full of themselves, even if they're not proven, right. Even if they're not right. proven at the distance, and so i think like we we have power to change that and to support that growing in our sport and not see it as a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And now i'm really fired up about this. This is my next rant. <laughs> Mark it down ladies. Next rant. Totally Support yeah. women being cocky.
1: I mean, yeah, it, goes I like back, it. Uh, it goes back to just different standards, right? Like we hold each other to different standards and that should be, we should start trying to break down those barriers. Um, and I think one of the things they talked about in this was one of the guys was saying like in Spain, I think it was, um, They were asking Eloise, like, why are you this fast? Like there are these like older men wondering why this 20 some year old, very fit female can keep up with them. And it's obviously a no brainer to us, but they're confused by a woman being faster because they're not used to seeing women up there. And so one thing that I thought was really interesting was them talking about how we could educate men going forward as a way to really like elevate female sport. Um, And so let's cut back to that now to really hear their opinion
3: around that. I think it's really hard to always be the weakest one. And when you're among men that happens because, you know, we are different. So, you know, I think it's really important to have more girls inside the groups. Uh, But I think it's also very important for the guys to know we are different and be always, you know, aware of it. Because otherwise, it's just like, you know, it's not, I, I don't know, I just don't, I, I really think we need to push hard to be in the same place together and be able to ride right together. Because I'm not a coaching group, I'm a cycling club, and we are a club. If we don't, you know, if we, if we can, you know, just ride right together, we are doing something wrong. And uh, I think the fact that we have like steps or you no know, girl staffs is not only me. We also have um, two other amazing staffs um, that, you know, go in leading the pelotons. And I think that really changed boys' minds as to how to ride with girls. And, um, but, you know, having girls is, the, is how you get guys to understand how girls write. So if they don't write with girls, they will never know. And that's how important it is to have girls writing, you know, just to set the example as well. So I,
0: someone recently reached out to me. We're talking, it's Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month, everyone. It's the first time we're mentioning this somehow on a women's podcast. Ha, we did it, Um, about how as a male, could he help support women's sports? And this is it. I think this is how you advance women's sports. It's you educate, you can educate men, but also like let them let women lead. And I think that is like, this is what I'm like, I'm turning around and I'm going to write this to him. And like, as soon as we're done with this. um, So that, that was really, really interesting that they brought, they brought that up. They kind of cover, they covered a little bit of everything in this podcast interview, you guys. And speaking of educating men, I feel very fortunate. We probably give him a shout out every single time we record. But Hillary and I work with this great coach, longtime friend, Adam St. Pierre. And he, I think, has maybe taught Hilly and I, maybe as much as we've taught him about menstruation. Um, I know, Hilly, you were just joking before we uh, hit record about what Adam writes in your training log. Probably monthly. (laughs) I'm hoping it's monthly
2: yeah I mean should I share that I don't know Adam but but I mean I love Adam because he's taught me so much about you know obviously I didn't get into I wasn't in like running I was in team sports when I was you know in 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 high school and college and we never talked about how we would literally periodize our training (laughs) um we just wouldn't talk about it and so like Adam has taught me so much about um what I should track, why I'm feeling this way. Like, huh, I'm racing with my period. That's normal. You know, it's like, I mean, literally it's my body adapting to kind of the training loads and like where he's placed them. And and so he's, he's taught me so much about it. Um, and really helped me to kind of then think about how, how I coach my female athletes and the 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 um the science that I read. And and so I think he is kind of the the poster child for like what it, what it means to, to be a coach and educate women. He is doing this for his college athletes at, at, um, Montana and, and Bozeman at MSU. Um, so, I mean, I know he, he, before he went there, he was, a, he was coaching high school and junior people for, for Nordic skiing. And I'm sure he was talking to, to these women and girls about, you know, what, what it meant to, to be a woman and how they needed to train differently than men on their team. Um, and so, I don't know if I want to share what he writes on my training log. That's you don't have to share
0: what he writes on your training log. What state, what happens in the training log stays in the training log. But I do think that, you know, I think that Adam shouldn't be the exception here. Right. Like, I think that's the big thing. Like he is a standout coach in the sense that he, he has taken it upon himself to, to work with his athletes on this, both at the collegiate level now and previously coaching a bunch of us. And I do think that, um, that, that shouldn't, that should not, he should not be the exception. This should be, normal right males should be educated on on this i think that you know to the point of um Eloise and Vicky talking about like not giving women a hard time right about about menstruation like not making this taboo thing or this negative thing um and i think part of that comes from us educating them and part of that just comes from other male coaches leading by example right we need representation of female athletes being badass badasses so that we you know we can see ourselves doing those things but also you know, u- utilizing the men who are educated and who who have taken the time to learn about their female colleagues, peers, athletes, um, teammates, so that they can lead by example for other young men coming up in the sport and maybe for old men coming up in the sport. You know, I think that that is, um, that's important. I think it's really cool that we've got some shining stars in that realm. But I think, you know, that is one way that we can help advance women's sport is have men on board more than anything, like get on board with women being in sport.
1: Yeah. And get on board with females leading a Peloton. I thought that was super cool that they talked to in the interview too, was that they encourage female led Peloton groups that have men in them that are just letting the females lead and and kind of like respecting the power of the female instead of, Oh, these females are strong, but they're going to follow a male, right? They're letting the strong females lead the men. And I think that's a really cool way to let men learn a little bit about females and how females ride too. So I think that's really cool. And I don't know how we would kind of translate that to trail running, but, um, yeah, right.
0: maybe that means showing up to showing up to a group run and, and having women be the lead, right. Or something of that nature in which, you know, it doesn't like, we can route plan. We can, we can set the agenda. I mean, I see that even in like my male ski partners, right. Like oftentimes, you know, I'm the, the lesser experienced one in the group. So I kind of default to kind of the supporting role versus being the person who's going to be like, Hey, I think we want to ski this today. Let me take initiative to be the lead. Let me be, take the initiative to be the lead in some of the decision-making. And so I think that that's, you know, communication going both ways so that women, men, men can fall into those supporting roles and, and learn from their female peers in that regard.
1: Totally. Yeah. Yeah.
2: There's like two things too. It's like, uh, I remember, um, David Roche and Megan Roche, they live here in in Boulder. And I remember David saying, it's like on recovery days, it's like Megan leads like this. It's like important to, you know, just like knowing, like letting, letting women kind of take, like set the pace. Like this is important. And like maybe training partners, if you have a significant other that you run with, like, you know, being able to have the woman lead, lead the run, lead the pace. Um, I think, I think that that's important. And also, I mean, we, we talked about Jenny Nugent in, um, the beginning of this for the, the first, the, the women's, uh, women's sports bra, uh, the first bar in Portland, um, for women. Um, and like, I think she said that 40% of all athletes are women. So why are we having especially, you know, at the younger age of like coaches and team sports, why are we only training them? Like, according to a male physiology, there needs to be an education for literally half of the other athletes that you're coaching. So, I mean, yeah, I think, I I think I'm a huge for any, for any level, but I think it starts young, um, to educate if there's going to be a male coach in that position, you know, having them being educated about, you know, where women are in puberty and if they need to talk about that and how they need to adapt training for that if they want to keep women in sport.
0: Yeah. And as we mentioned in earlier episodes of this too, like how many of us remember our first female coach? Right. When, what, did you ever have a female coach? Like, I think that there's, right. There's a lot of shaking heads of no in the room right now. For a long
2: time. It took a long time.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's like, that's an important thing to investigate and and to prod more into and to find more support for women in those roles, because I think they're gonna set up to be leaders of both both youth male sports, but youth female sports in particular. And I think that um I think change is happening on that front. But this is just like, you know, tip of the iceberg.
1: Totally. Yeah. And as we see more female coaches coming into the sport, obviously that just kind of showcases the increasing female's presence in the sport. Um, and so let's go back to the interview one last time and see how this kind of translates to their country. Cause obviously they have a lot of issues in Brazil that. The three of us don't have to deal with. Um, And so it'll be cool to kind of hear about how sport is in their state right now. And then how they see that kind of changing um, in the future.
3: Sao Paulo, it sucks for cycling. So it's like, it's a huge city. And I remember when I was little, I had to cross a bridge and I almost got killed. Seriously. I was like... Uh, I remember like I was six years old and a car stopped for like 20 centimeters before me, you know. So it's not really friendly and um, I think it's not really easy to get children riding bikes. But now we have uh, cycle lanes. So since 2017 until nowadays, we have more than 400 kilometers of cycle lanes. And that changed a lot. So my nephew, who is six years old, goes to school by bike. And I think that's amazing, you know, because if we didn't have cycle lanes, I don't think he would have, you know. So I think that's changing.
4: I feel I feel it's growing a lot. And I'm really happy to be here and watching this, this movement, these women being more... I do less scared of being out, uh, even though we are living a really difficult moment in our in our country. And but they're still going out, and I think I don't know. There's kind of some kind of bravery showing up from coming from women. I feel from what I see around, from my, how many women I see like riding, like Vicky was saying, even with kids, taking their kids on the bike, you know, with electrical bikes. So in every kind of not only uh, in sports, but you know, women are kind of sick of not 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 taking not using the road and and the streets like we're supposed to and we have we have had a lot of accidents lately like fatal accidents and cyclists being killed on the road inside the city outside of the city and even with that it's i'm not i'm not seeing anyone staying at home on the contrary they're like okay let's let's continue and show off i really feel there is a difference and women are being more out there and showing and being more brave and vicky was talking about this club uh lulu five that is exclusively for women which i also i i like and dislike because of the fact that having only women makes it like why cannot we ride? why, why can't we ride with men but also it gives women maybe more security if they don't feel good riding with like guys because they can not fit them correctly or i don't know but this morning i was riding with a friend for example who who had an accident like a a and accident, stupid. She just like fell on, on some dirt on the ground and broke her hand. And it took her a lot of time to come back cycling. She's really afraid. And I took her with me at 5 a.m. really early. We went to a place where we at uh, the university here where we can ride only from 5 to 6.30. And it's Friday, so there's not a lot of cyclists like that strong cyclist and there were so many women riding and it was really cool. And I told her, see, you can come here on your, uh, on your own on Fridays in the morning. And I really, I, I couldn't believe how many women were there. And I also realized that they go on Friday when there's less like um, aggressive men riding really fast so they can you know gain confidence. And little by little, you see, you see the level, you know, as we ride a lot, Vicky and I, you can see who rides like strong or not. And you see like, the ones who are um, in the front that are stronger or less, you know, you see the different kind of groups and how people are getting, women are getting like more confident and comfortable riding. So that was really cool to watch. And I feel that from there, they're going to start, you know, going on their own or going with the guys. And so, yeah, I think it's a movement that's going, that's growing and it's, you know, it's going to still continue growing.
3: We actually have a a sponsor now. So we usually pick a girl to sponsor for like, well, at least three months. I think hello was three months, but there was another one we did six months. And then uh, now we did like for a year. Uh, So we we always try to have one, but we still like don't manage to have as much uh, spot as i would like to i think pandemic was really hard on us because we spent like almost six months um without having a club and that means we had no no income you know so it was really really hard on us um but one thing i wanted to do is maybe like paying for um well, we actually did that. Like on um, BikingMan Brazil, we partner up with Drop, which is uh, a a shop that is where we we get together, and we actually paid for a spot in BikingMan Brazil to be um, given to a woman, and it was it was um, a, a southern girl that wanted. Uh, she's called Jessica. And it was really, really cool because she finished it. And um, besides me, she was the only girl who managed to finish it. So that's the Brazilian wow. version of Inca. Yeah. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Was, I, I, well, we did some some video calls because she was like, I have no idea how to do it. And now that I did Inca, I'm like an expert. So I was like, let's do it. And we, I tried to help her with the map and how much kilometers was she intending intending to, to do today. And we actually helped each other, you know, and I was like so glad to see her like finishing. It was better than myself, seriously, because it was like really hard, really hard. And she was like, she almost gave up because she had some biking, bike problems. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I saw that she managed, like, to get on the, the uh, PC, um, like, I don't know, maybe two hours be- before closing it, it was like, it was like winning it, you know?
0: So I think it's wild that these two women are, in a lot of ways, single-handedly bringing more women into sport in Brazil funding, funding their way, starting, you know, back at the, uh, like the start of the interview, right. But the funding, funding for the three months of the club, like, I think that that, you know, once again, like how much impact can you make, right? Like, it doesn't feel like you can make a lot of impact, but this one person, this, these two people, this one club is having profound impacts on women's sport in Brazil and particularly in women's cycling in Brazil. And to me, I just like, can't get over how cool that is.
1: Yeah. Vicky single-handedly increased, the amount of female finishers in biking man, Brazil by two X, right? Because it used to be just her. And then they funded another woman who ended up being the second finisher and the only other female finisher the next year that this bike race that's grueling went on. And so while it might seem small in the grand scheme of things, if, if they continue to be able to fund these women every year and they slowly start growing the sport and having two X the amount of finishers every year, like that's pretty profound change just from one cycling club. And so it's really cool to see.
0: Yeah. I think that's, that might, might be our take home, our take home message from the whole thing. Right. Is that like one person, two people, one club, you, you, you one person listening to this, our one listener, you, like you can make a profound difference. We can make a profound difference in women's sports. Um, and I think that that like, it's really easy to get bogged down in this idea that we might not be able to have an impact. And, um, Clearly, that is not the case, and Vicky is and Eloise are leading by examples in a big way. Um, and I can't like I'm so happy that Strava put us in touch with them. This was it was so cool getting to hear their stories and and see what they're doing and, and get to continue to hopefully follow their story for years to come. We're gonna finish things off with Society Slam, brought to you once again by our friends over at Aura Ring. Um, Keely, I stole your thunder last time. I cut I didn't even cut you off. I just stole I just stole the thing that you were gonna say without even looking at the doc. So I we're gonna let you go first today so that I can't mess it up. Um what is your society slam?
1: Yeah, so actually the society slam started off with because Corinne told me not to message her. <laughs> So ha! Huh. <laughs> they did listen and this one was my favorite. So this is what I chose for this week. So for those of you who are still in my inbox, don't worry. I have an overwhelming amount of messages that I will get to you because we no talked one, about you eventually.
0: No one <laughs> sent them to me. So this is yeah. great.
1: Um, but this one really hit close to home for me because all three of us come from a little bit of a different um, running background, non-traditional. And this was an athlete who was wondering how, he can kind of get to that next level. Um, So he comes from a not so traditional running background. He got into running later in life and he wants to know how he, or we have gotten through that phase of like making up for lost time where we, we don't have those years and years of running under our belt and, and how we can go from being good to being great um, without that traditional pathway of, of, of running as a kid, running into high school, running into college and then progressing out of college. And just kind of wanted to get your guys' thoughts on like, that progression and how how maybe we've done it differently and what you guys have found has helped you um, reach new levels without that traditional running background and and what you continue to do going forward so i would say
0: patience okay you're you're in an endurance sport an ultra endurance sport more than likely um you can't rush that and you know all of your life has been training for this even if you come from a non-traditional sports background um you can't you can't cram for the exam Okay. And that doesn't mean that you're not going to be amazing or that you can't be great, but you can't, you can't force it. You can't double down on training in hopes that you're going to like, I don't know, just crush it. Right. Like you have to be patient and you have to be consistent. And I think that that's going to make the biggest like growth over time because right. Like you can't, your body can only take on so much. So that's my, that's my, my two cents, patience kind of just keep doing what you're doing. Keep showing up. Yeah. I also don't know how old this person is, but I will say that like, I just, I wrote an article yesterday about the aging athlete and, uh, turns out the longer distance you go, the older your peak ages too. So this is not a sport that necessarily, um, rewards the young and fast that I will tell you that both 24 hour world records right now are held by 40 somethings, um, uh, is it harvey lewis it's not lewis harvey it's harvey mm-hmm. lewis like he's well into his 40s and smashing it like they're like this is not a young man's or a young woman's game this is experience and age and giving your body time so uh mm-hmm. don't worry i wouldn't worry about it yeah. so uh
2: our retirement plan corinne malcolm to do what is it tour de jean like uh corinne's, are, corinne's already done to like a 200 mile outing i wonder where where you're gonna land 500 i'm just kidding
1: (laughs) yeah well one more thing on that note is that uh, my favorite exercise physiologist i might be biased is nick tiller but he said in a recent podcast i listened to talking about ultra endurance sport and what not to do basically in your training is is that the worst thing you could do in this sport is run too much weekly volume too fast and so we need to be more patient unlike hilly goat um and he said that in in reference to Also, people typically go for more volume without focusing on the basics and actually working on those different speeds to actually increase your fitness before just increasing your load. And so it's really the seesaw effect, right, of like increasing load a little bit and then working more on the basics and really increasing that VO2 max and increasing that lactate threshold and then increasing the load slowly again and then working on those two things again. And and you can't do all of it at once. And so if you are getting into this sport later in life, you really just need to. To have patience and to really focus on those things separately to really start building, really start building and and not overdo it because we don't want you to burn out and get injured. We want you to become a Jeff Browning and we want you to become a Camille Heron and we want you to keep going well into your later years of your life because your body is very much adapted to running these far distances later in life. So hang in there.
0: Yeah, you got this. For those of you listening, not watching us, uh, Keely was just talking so passionately that her hands were going all over the place and she ran them directly into her microphone. So that was <laughs> that was great. There was a lot of passion um, there. And then um, to close things off, we had a listener reach out to us about, um, we were talking about adaptive sports um, with our Patrick Pressgrove interview and a listener reached out and said, she's like, I was, you know, screaming into the void, like Vermont 100, when you're talking about like, who's doing this, what race orgs are doing this. And so I did not know this. I am familiar with Vermont 100. I've got friends that have raced it. I've got athletes that have raced it. But Vermont 100 is a major fundraiser for Vermont Adaptive. And I did not know that. And the race um, has also established both visually impaired and mobility impaired athlete categories. I think this came about in part because Kyle Robidao, is it Robidao, 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 Um, He's a visually impaired athlete. Um, He started Western States in 2019, I think. Um, But he reached out to Amy about running the race, and she immediately let let him in. And she's actually, I think, guided him several times at this point, which is really, really cool. Um, And so there are races in the trail and ultra world who have already adapted to adaptive athletes and created categories for them and created entryways for them and and are finding ways to support them. And so kudos, big kudos to Vermont 100 for being um, a major player in uh, fundraising and supporting adaptive athletes. Um, I did not know that. And that is so, so very cool. So I think that is all... this week hillary wrote a frowny face for her society slam um so if you did not write to hillary last week the society slam this is your opportunity to flood her direct messages for next time around we want to thank you all so much for joining us once again for another edition of trail society um happy trails we'll talk to you all again soon